WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. That's you. It's me. <laughs> I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Oh, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie Becky. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it's really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... <laughs> we have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD, and let's not forget 1460 AM WPMS. And uh, it is, uh, did you enjoy your Indigenous Peoples Day or Columbus Day, however you celebrate the holiday? I hope you did. Uh, we are looking forward to helping you wrap up the day. Uh, we have a great list of guests who are going to be joining us um, in a moment. We will have uh, Brockton at Large City Councilor Wynn Fotwell, he'll join us for conversation. We'll get caught up on everything in the City of Champions. Uh, but per, uh, after following um, uh, Mr. Fotwell, uh, we're going to have Attorney Adam Bond. He's going to join the show to discuss uh, his latest caseload. As he's going to be representing 147 immigrants that have recently arrived in the stand. Now, this is not a news story that uh, is not only developing... Uh, here in and around the Commonwealth, but it's something that's happening around the country. So we look forward to the conversation with Adam about that. Our number two, New York Times bestselling author, Casey Sherman. Casey is always, I always ask him to come on by and give us a little bit of an update as to some of the projects that he's working on, whether it's books and don't forget he has a production company. Uh, he has a new book called A Murder in Hollywood. Also, uh, his latest project, it's a biopic uh, series on uh, quarterback Tom Brady. Looking forward to talking with him about that. And then we'll close the show out, kind of staying on a little bit of a, a sports theme. Uh, ben Rabinovich, he is from the Causeway Kings podcast and local sports announcer Mad Dog Matt Nelson. As we're going to talk a little Boston Bruins hockey, a preseason's over and the regular season is upon us. We'll talk with them about that. But right now... Let's uh, welcome our guest. Uh, joining us on the phone line, uh, he is a, a, an at-large counselor right now, but he's also served as the mayor uh, in the city of Brockton and also on the school committee. Uh, we ask uh, you to say hello to Wynn Fowell. Uh, counselor, how are you today? I'm doing well, Kevin. Thank you for having me, and I hope you had a great weekend and enjoy, you are enjoying the holiday. I, I'll tell you, when you have the long, the long uh, weekends, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to kick back and I'm going to relax. And then before you know it, so many other things kind of come into focus. You're like, oh, I could do this, I could do that. Before you know it, it's Monday. And does it do anything but rain lately on weekends? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm glad we're not vacationing somewhere for uh, significant uh, 
for significant money, and uh, all we have is rain. But hopefully the, the weather will get a little better on the weekends for people. I will tell you that, you know, I've, you may or may not know this, but I actually have a little bit of a green thumb. Um, the past couple of years, I actually have had a garden, and my garden has uh, actually enjoyed the rain. At least something is on this, you know, something is getting enjoyment out of it other than uh, uh, the birds. Well, Mr. Green Thumb now, from now on, we'll refer to you. <laughs> Well, it's better than Mr. Green Jeans, that's for sure. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the city of Brockton. How are things going? I know probably one of the biggest stories that that is uh, is continuing to develop is uh, the school budget for uh, the city of Brockton. Uh, a uh, it was something that was uh, newsworthy. I want to say what uh, three four weeks ago at the start of school. The school was just uh, about to start uh, for the school year twenty three twenty four. And it was learned that there was a, a sizable deficit of a little more than $14 million for fiscal year 23. Now, again, we're in fiscal 24, but uh, the, what was happening, there was a, an investigation that has been launched to find out what happened with that money. What, what do things stand with that particular issue? Well, unfortunately, this $14 million deficit that's been announced uh, came up in public arena probably at the end of August, beginning of September. And I have to tell you, Kevin, this was just shocking to me because, as you may remember, back in 1991, the city was $14 million in debt. And we laid off 31 police officers, 35 firefighters, probably a couple of hundred teachers. Uh, the state stepped in to assist us, but they required that we have financial control board oversee uh, city revenues and expenditures there was a special state law passed that created a finance department and provided for a chief financial officer for the city of brockton and to this to this guy for this to happen again is just something i never would have predicted because if you think about it we've got so many redundancies i mean we have accounts payable office over at the school department you would think someone would see more purchase orders and expenditures coming in and money was budgeted for. And we also have what's called a muni system, and I suspect many communities in your area use it, where you can actually monitor your expenditures versus your appropriations. So this calls for a full audit and investigation. Who knew what? When did they know it? What action did they take? What action didn't they take? Uh, because your budget and your financial stability in your city or town is everything. And, and this is something, again, I, I ask you this. You have how many schools? 28 schools, and you're talking about a budget, an, an annual budget of somewhere around $220 million. Is it accurate? That is correct. Okay. So that you're talking $14 million is like a, it's a, a slice of the pie, but how, how would you be able to go over? I would think that there's certain stopgap measures that would prevent that from happening? Well, there should be. And obviously one of them is that the city had a, a uh, financial officer over at the school department. They had a budget director over at the school department. They've got accounts payable at the school department. And if you're allocated about $220 million, 
then you would think that as these bills kept coming in, these payments to vendors, whether it be for special education or for transportation or for some other purpose, you would think that there would be a running comparison of your expenditures versus the funds that you had budgeted in those various accounts. And that's why it's so important not to, shall we say, shoot from the hip and reach any conclusions. The the most important thing is to do the audit and the investigation, but then the second most pressing issue is to make sure it does not happen again. And then lastly, the council will probably be involved in uh, either approving a transfer or an appropriation to offset the deficit, because if there are bills out there that have to be paid, uh, or if they're already paid at a deficit to the city's treasury, we need to make that up. Now, is this strictly the 23 uh, fiscal year? Or has there been any, any new information that this might be something that may reach back a, a year or two years? Do we have any updates on that area? Well, the, I think the school department has admitted they were $3 million in deficit in fiscal year 22 that they were able to offset by moving some money around. I've heard and some other counselors have heard it's more like $10 million, and that's why the city's review of issues will span two fiscal years, FY22 and fiscal year 23, because that potential deficit from FY22, let's make sure we moved money around appropriately uh, with uh, the proper authorization if it involved federal money. So bundling those two years together should give us a snapshot of how well the school uh, department functioned in terms of revenue and expenditures. Has anybody raised the, the thought that maybe somehow the pandemic has played a role in knowing that there's so much money that was that was being uh, that was coming in from the state and the federal government that somehow that played a role? Well, I, I don't believe that would be a valid uh, hypothesis because if so, that would affected, that would have affected other cities and towns. Okay. I mean, we, we weren't the only ones affected by COVID. So I, I'm, at this point, I think it's more of an inattention to detail or a lack of oversight. And even the chief financial officer for the city, Troy Claxton, has uncovered what we and I have, he and I have talked about, uh, very minimal internal financial controls over at the school department. For example, they decentralized the number of people who could override the muni system and deficit spend in an account, figuring that at the end of the year it would all balance out. Um, and when you have so many people with authorization to do that, I think you lose control over expenditures and now it has come down to i believe just one person the city auditor would be able to approve a deficit spend in a particular area knowing that we have funds from another area that can be transferred in to cover it but you you can't decentralize internal financial controls you really have to have a a comprehensive uh, plan and policy to ensure that expenditures never exceed revenues now, many folks may not know this uh, unless they are somebody who lives in Brockton, but the city council also uh, doubles as the finance committee. Uh, I believe that the, the finance committee uh, wing of the, the city council actually had a recent uh, a chance to meet with, with school committee members. How did that meeting go uh, in regards to discussing this situation? I, I thought it went fairly well. I, I know there are some committee members who are defensive. Uh, the vice chair was very forthright. She came in and answered questions that I raised. Um, I did indicate my displeasure that as I went to do some research, 
the school committee also has an accounts committee, and they said that they met about six times during fiscal year 23, but they don't post any of their agendas or they don't post minutes of their meetings as required by the open meeting law. So I had nothing to read, nothing to review, and I did bring that out publicly. Uh, I, I fear that some people found that embarrassing, but... You know, Kevin, you've known me for a lot of years, and I, I always feel the best way to address an issue is shine some light on it, yep. go through the pain, go through whatever embarrassment or defects we find, because unless you do that, your the structure you build going from there would be faulty. The foundation on which you go forward would be faulty if you don't identify all of the weaknesses and the areas where we really need now to focus our attention. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with uh, at-large counselor, the city of Brockton. Wynn Fowell is our guest. Um, so probably one of the last things I would ask you in this, uh, on this particular topic, uh, where do things stand as far as a, an internal audit or an outside in, uh, independent agency coming in? And uh, what are we waiting for? What is the next thing that's happening in the timeline? Uh, I don't have a timeline yet. I do know that there has been a firm engaged by the city to uh, do an investigation and an audit. The school committee wants to do their own audit, uh, and they voted to include some citizens on an audit committee. I have suggested in public that I did not agree with that. I mean, the thought of you auditing yourselves, uh, because the school committee by law is in charge of the appropriation and the expenditures once we give it to them uh, during the annual budget process, to to have any credibility, it just seems to me you don't audit yourself. And to include three citizens who may not have any experience in municipal finance or audits to decide either the scope of services or the firm that should be selected, I thought slowed down the process. And in fact, they're still recruiting. They still have something posted on their website asking for interested citizens to apply. Meanwhile, we're going to go forward because this issue really needs to be addressed in January or February, you will be coming into the new budget process for fiscal year 25. And so whatever we determine happened in FY 22 and 23, uh, we certainly want to be prepared in FY 25 budget deliberations. As a way to uh, to, uh, to, uh, to pivot and segue from, uh, from this topic, but to, to another one, um, knowing that this is an election year, um, do you feel that this is an opportunity for those who want to use this as a, as a stepping stone to either seek office or remain in office, again, knowing that it is an election year? I think those of us who are in office, and, I, and I'll speak for all of my colleagues on the, on the city council, and it's, it's been a very good council because we didn't always agree on a lot of issues, but we always took time to listen to one another and then in the end come up with compromises and votes that advanced a positive agenda for the city. Uh, I think for us, we're very committed to learning all of the facts, and if we're reelected, making sure that we do not have a repeat of significant defi deficits in any city departments. Unfortunately, for some candidates, not all, there are, there are candidates who are sincere about running, uh, but for some candidates, yeah, this has turned into uh, a sledgehammer to try to use... Uh, there have been all sorts of comments, negative, that uh, how dare the council question the school committee and uh, they're at fault as much as anyone else. And, and that's just politics, Kevin. It's, 
you know, in my lifetime, uh, politics has really devolved into more of a, uh, a kerfuffle or a, mm. or a street uh, scrum rather than, shall we say, elevated debate and discussion. And that's really too bad. I think you're seeing that nationwide. Yeah, it's definitely uh, disappointing. L- let's talk about, you know, you, uh, you were the top vote-getter as far as uh, at-large counselors. Uh, I know that there are eight that are moving on to the November general election. Uh, talk to me about your service as an at-large counselor and folks recognizing during the preliminary that, that you're, you know, someone that, can, that, you know, that they want to see for another two years. All right, well, let's correct that if we can. Full credit goes to a former city councilor at large, Gene Bradley Durenancourt. He was the top vote getter. Sure, sure. But I, mean, I guess what I meant to say is that you were amongst the, the incumbents. That's what, that's the, yeah. what I should have... The incumbents, yes, Gene Bradley Durenancourt. Uh, sorry, Gene, I didn't mean to... Uh, oh, I didn't mean to omit Gene. Gene, uh, fantastic that he got he got the, the top votes, but as far as incumbents, you are the top vote getter for incumbents. Yes, yeah, and you know that will probably change in the general election because more people will turn out sure. and I, you know, I just I enjoy my work. When the day arrives, I don't. If it becomes too too taxing or, uh, shall we say, something that I don't really want to do any longer, then I'll bow out. But I enjoy doing the work. It is a very good city. Brockton always takes a lot of criticism. We don't have any issues that don't in- exist in other communities. But obviously, because we are a city and we're the only one in Plymouth County, we get a lot of publicity on them. And so many positive things have happened. The mayor has worked with the council as a team in terms of economic development, in terms of public safety initiatives. So the most important message to me is read what you want in the newspaper, but if you lived in the city of Brockton, you'd have a whole different picture on the positive environment in which we now find ourselves. Would you say that the the, the biggest issues, other than you know the school committee, uh, the, the school financial situation do you feel that public safety roads and, and streets and you know the, the betterment of the city are still the key issues that concern Brocktonians? yes I, I think the new public safety facility which will co-locate three departments yep. administratively police fire information technology and emergency management in one complex or campus uh, that that is a fantastic idea. It will save administrative money. It'll save operational money, energy costs. Uh, I will tell you that the issue of homelessness is very much at the forefront in the city because we have homeless people and we're sensitive to that, but they are creating issues downtown. Uh, They're creating issues virtually across the city. Uh, There is a federal court case that says that if you're a homeless person and you're on municipal property, we can't remove you unless we can demonstrate that there was a shelter bed or a place for you to live somewhere else. And so that case is, I think, winding its way up to a higher court level. That was just one federal court decision. Uh, But that has really, shall we say, limited what the police can do. So it's a containment issue now. Try to keep the streets safe. Try to keep them clean. Try to make sure that as the uh, cold weather rolls in that we don't have people who are at risk health-wise. But homelessness and, and its effect on economic development has really been uh, a big challenge. And the mayor has a task force that works on that with biweekly meetings. 
We have a social services director, uh, Jasmine Bradshaw, who actually goes out into the field to help homeless people. But that is an issue that really is climbing towards the top of the ladder. Yeah, and I would want to, as I alluded to, uh, we have Adam Bond, attorney Adam Bond, talking about uh, some 147 uh, immigrants that he's dealing with. How is the uh, the immigrant uh, situation uh, affected the city of Brockton? Is uh, Brockton also a destination for folks who are new to this country? Uh, I, I, I'm sure we do have people who are new to this country coming in, but actually I fear that a great many people are homeless because evictions are now up. The courts have resumed hearing cases. Um, the economy is such that, you know, Kevin and I, I am not one of these activists that advocate for something like this, but you can't make minimum wage and afford an apartment and afford to live in Brockton. Mm. I mean, that's just the fact of life. You, Even if you worked 40 hours and another eight hours overtime, the amount of money that is now required of people to live just modestly with perhaps a car and not a new one, to buy food, to pay for rent, to pay for incidentals that are required, if you have children to take care of them, that figure has really gone up. I, I dare say now that the middle class might be 75000 and up. And, and I'm not an economist, but I just noticed people being squeezed. And I think some people, unfortunately, have been squeezed out onto the streets. As we get ready to wrap up our segment uh, with that large counselor, uh, Wynn Falwell, uh, one final thought. we got to just a couple of moments left here, but uh, you alluded to the new public safety campus. Knowing that you're somebody who you know worked in the Brockton, uh, Brockton uh, Police Department and knowing that it was something that was, that was called for by many that felt that it was time for a new police station, as somebody who you know has served the city in so many different roles, what's your thought on, on this finally coming to fruition? I think it will transform the downtown by having a, a huge public safety presence with police officers coming to work, leaving from work, uh, cruisers coming in and out of the downtown area to get to the complex. I think it will spur some additional economic development because people will feel safer down there. But most importantly, it will give our men and women who work in these departments a first-class facility uh, in which they will work and they can carry out their duties. We will have training rooms. We will have an area where public meetings can be held. I mean, it's not often a community will, will put $98 million on the table and say, we believe in what we're doing, and this is important. So by 2025, I hope that you'll be there joining us when we uh, open the facility. Look forward to it. Uh, as we wrap up the segment, anything you want to say as we say goodbye until our next conversation? Uh, just, I always say this, it is an honor and a privilege to serve in public office, and I enjoy being an at-large counselor. I certainly hope I will gain the support of the residents in the upcoming election, November 7th. Um, I still believe public service is a noble calling. He is Wynn Farwell, at-large counselor in the city of Brockton, city of champions, uh, as our guest. Thank you again, Wynn. Thank you very much. You got it. We are going to step aside when we come back. Adam Bond, attorney at law, right here on Monday Night Talk, 95.9 WATV. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD.
Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marsala. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio at McGuigan's. Sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Auto Glass in Pembroke. People ask me, is there anything they can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? Is there anything I can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? See? There is. Those big gravel trucks, when they're being loaded, rocks get stuck in the framework of the bed. Truck hits a bump, rock hits your windshield, it pays to stay way back. It pays to stay way back. However, if your windshield is broken, just call 1-888-64-TINIES. And thank you. Night Talk continues all week long. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk and keep in touch on Facebook and Twitter. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. And we return to your holiday Monday Night Talk, Indigenous People Day or Columbus Day, however you uh, know this particular holiday. Uh, our next conversation we have uh, joining us, uh, he is attorney at law, Adam Bond, uh, as folks may be aware of, is something that has been happening over the past several months. Thousands of migrants actually have been coming to the Commonwealth to seek asylum, not only here in this state, but around the country. This is happening, uh, fleeing violence and economic turmoil. Uh, some of the countries include uh, Haiti, uh, Brazil, and parts of South of America, South America. Um, uh, the governor, um, Maura Healy, actually declared a state of emergency. And this was in August uh, due to the rising number of migrant families and the severe lack of shelter availability. Uh, she actually, in a, a press uh, statement from her office, says that the, the declaration served as a notice to the federal government and the Commonwealth that the state's shelter system is rapidly expanding and capacity is an unsustainable in an unsustainable manner that further assistance is urgently needed uh, as of that particular press release at that time and I'm sure it has grown leaps and bounds there are about 5800 families in state shelters including children and pregnant women joining us as you said Adam Bond who actually uh, recently uh, gained 147 uh, clients as a part of a case. Adam Bond, welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Hey, how are you? It's uh, good to good to hear your voice again. It's good to hear yours as well. So let's talk about this latest caseload involved. Well, let, me, let me let me correct it. It's it's 147 people that that, that are one case. That, well, it's it's no, no, no. It's 147 people that may or may not need immigration assistance, and you know this is everything's fluid. But let me let me take you back for a moment because I think this story is important in order to sort of 
be able to work forward. Please do so. Which is just a, a couple of weeks ago, I um, uh, my the town manager in Middleborough, who who by the way is an awesome person, um, a guy named Jamie Grail. Um, he he has been trying to struggle and deal with the immigrants that have come to town. Um, I believe it's more than 170 people. Um, the governor's office has been right in there helping. Mark Pacheco has been right in there helping. Everybody's all it's all hands on deck, and I I, I kind of think that's. The, the sort of emergency declaration by the governor is two things. One, saying to the federal government, you need to do something to help. This is this is in your wheelhouse. Um, and two, you know, all hands on deck. We've got a humanitarian crisis that we need to address, um, not only in this state, but in the country. Um, and part of that, you know, I, I went over to, to translate um, for the intake. They were having another handful of people coming from another town that sort of overloaded at this point that was coming into Middleborough and I and I um, and I had the pleasure of being able to translate um, for a number of these immigrants to be able to do the intake and then try and get them settled into um, where they were staying um, and um, I asked to be able to help some more and and this is sort of where the the oddity comes in um, they all came in with certain types of papers and they all came in with with notices to appear yes. a notice to appear is sort of your first salutation from the federal government to say hey you're you're an you're an immigrant um welcome um here's a notice to appear so you can tell us why we shouldn't throw you out um so it's an interesting sort of dichotomy there hello and maybe goodbye um, all at the same time and one of the things that we had noticed were that you know people came in in one place and the hearings were supposed to be set for another state, not the state they currently are in, which is Massachusetts. So all that had to be dealt with. And one of the things that, that, that I was doing was trying to get that dealt with. And then we've now talked to various immigration attorneys, and it's not as simple as it all looks. Um, one little mistake, and you can lose your asylum, your ability to mm -hmm. claim for asylum. One little mistake, and you can get deported. And I guess that's really sort of the, if, if you were talking about the concept of a teaser. Um, that is an excellent. In my mind, yep. um, the, the most important thing in the world or the most evident thing in the world is that no matter what Mark Pacheco does, Senator Pacheco does, no matter what the governor does, no matter what anybody else does, the immigration system and the paperwork that is handed to people whose first language is not English is confusing. It's confusing for someone who has a BA. It's confusing for someone who has a doctorate in law. Well, if I could ask you, and I, just, I want to go back just a little bit, as you, you, you've, you've kind of you've kind of backfilled this, but uh, the one thing I have to ask is, what is the point of origin for the for the immigrants when they entered this company, uh, this this country? Did they they didn't come here straight from their country of origin? They actually had to have an initial stop here. In this country, and then, if you will, if you will also, and I know you'll do this, is tell folks some of your research. Because I know you and your wife Victoria have done some research to try to connect the dots. Because, as you've kind of alluded to, is that you know these people coming here and English is not their first language, but yep. then there's also a lot of confusion that's kind of built into this. If you will, let's start yep. though with the point of or origin. Well, I think I think I think I started with you when I called you about this topic and said this is pure insanity. Um, let's let's first deal with the bank shot that is these poor people's lives, um, because nothing's a straight shot; it's a bank shot. So many of them have come from their country, Haiti. These this is this group of immigrants is Haiti, 
and they have they have either gone into Brazil, they've gone into Venezuela, they've gone into Chile, Nicaragua, wherever they're going, and then they've then they've sort of ended up going to through Mexico. Um, some of them, um, there are birth certificates for some of their kids that are from some of these countries. Um, they haven't directly come from Haiti, although there's another group that I met that did come from Haiti in an, from another town that I met, um, some Haitians that came in straight from Haiti. They had, a number of them had better English skills. But these, these poor people have been bouncing around for years in various places. But the, here's the most fascinating story. Talking to one group of people, entire conversation is in Spanish, sitting around a little table, um, uh, having a little bit of food and I'm getting told, all right, I came in through Brownsville. When I came into Brownsville, I already had an address. So I gave the address um, that I was given, and that's, I don't know, I'll make it up. It's in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So they hand me a notice to appear. The, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, hands me a notice to appear. The notice to appear on it says San Diego, of course. And it also, amazingly enough, every single one of these I've seen, and I've seen a number of them, says, I don't want a phone call and I don't want an attorney. Hmm. Uh, pencil that in, your, in the back of your mind at the moment, because there are free attorneys all over the place for these people when they come in. And then some of the people I talked to said, well, when, and then when, as soon as I was, as soon as I had my notice to appear and I was roaming out of DHS or, you know, moving on, um, I get handed a plane ticket that said, um, from some people, and I won't mention who the people were that handed them a plane ticket. I get handed a plane ticket to go up to Massachusetts. So now I'm in Massachusetts. Now I got to figure out what to do with my notice to appear because my notice to appear is for a different state. Mm. I'm also required within five days of coming into the country or five days of moving to let the, to let the um, courts involved, or the ALJs, they're not really courts, they're sort of administrative proceedings, um, I've got to let them know I've moved. If I don't let them know I've moved, I'm subject to deportation. What I now learn is it's not as simple as just sending in your form. There may be other things you need to do, or you could jeopardize your ability to get asylum. You could jeopardize your ability to stay in the country. You could jeopardize your ability to get a work visa. You know, and I'm a lawyer trying to read this stuff, and I'm not, I'm not knocking immigration lawyers, but God bless you. If you understand this stuff, man, oh, man, I give you credit. And it's, 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 it, is, it is, to me, thank God we have immigration lawyers out there to do this stuff. But the second part to me is shame on us that we don't make this process somewhat more transparent and visible for these poor people that are coming in. And, and, and I just I, I want to say this because I know there are there are a couple of schools of thought in the world that I've noticed. You know, all of the things that come down on Facebook that say, hey, let's close our borders. And then all of these other people that say, hey, um, open borders, open I, I use that in, in air quotes. Um, immigration is part of our history. I mean, my take, take this for instance. It's a crazy, crazy story. You probably would never hear this in a million years. My family was all in the southern Ukraine. They got blasted by a bunch of Russians that came in, and the ones that survived immigrated to the United States. No, I don't think you could imagine a story like that, could you? Not until modern day. Well, that's my point. Right. I mean, I'm being sarcastic, of uh, course, but you can't see my face. But anyway, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I was standing in a room with a little girl. She came in. She kept calling me abuelita, which means old man uh, or grandpa. Um, I know you're grinning right now, Kevin. I am. Anyway. So is it Larry. Yeah. She, she comes in, and, and she says, can I get some water? And I point over to a tap. 
And she shakes her head, no. And I go, what's wrong? She says, I need water. I said, well, over there at the tap. And she says, no. So I walk over to the tap, and I go and I drink the water, and she gives me sort of a look, and then she finally comes over and drinks the water. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying to myself, God, what lucky people we are. We look at our taps, and we expect clean water to come out. They look at their taps, and they're not sure what's going to come out. So at this particular time, the, t- <laughs> the, the clock is ticking on, yeah. uh, on, these, uh, on these individuals. So, so what, is, what is your process now? Where are you at right now? Well, the process now is the governor's office. I spoke to them, and they are, they are right on top of this stuff. They've actually got, um, I don't need to represent these people in this stuff. They've got people that are doing that, and then there is a training seminar that I can take where I can be informed, and I will, I will learn the process to be able to help people in the future. But at the moment, there's, I think it's called um, Office of Refugees and Immigration, ORI. Um, there is there is a woman in charge of that who is just fantastic, um, and the minute we got the the minute we got in touch with the governor's office, the governor's office looped us right in to this person, so we can now start looping in the immigrants to them. I mean, there's a I got to give you I I had no idea um, how how well there are a lot of people how well. The governor's office was setting this stuff up to be handled because you don't see everything from the outside. But standing there at the moment, watching what they're doing, they are trying their hardest to cover every base. But there's just so many damn bases. Pardon my friends. There's so many darn bases um, to cover here, um, including the fact that uh, you know things as simple as you know we're we're in Middleborough. And somehow or another, we need to find OBGYNs that are near us. Meanwhile, a lot of people have OBGYN appointments in Boston. And going from Middleborough to Boston is difficult for these people, especially if you don't speak the language. Think down the road. I, I, I believe that um, a lot of people in the government and a lot of the representatives um, around here are, are dying to find people who want to hire these people. But we need to get the work papers together, which I believe um, ends up getting somewhat roadblocked by how many the federal government will issue. So, um, you know, what I described to you previously as insanity continues to be insanity. Um, but the, the, the people that are out there, like I said, the governor's office, the state representatives, um, I know specifically Mark Pacheco because he's in our district, um, are, are running around trying to do the best they can, they can do to help these people. In the meantime, the best I would suggest to people is that, that, that um, you know, when you see these people smile, they're very kind people. They're not, they're not, the, they're not the problem. The immigration laws are the problem or the lack of immigration laws or the way the laws are written, however you want to phrase it. I don't disagree with people that there is a problem um, with how our immigration process works, but these people are not the problem. These people are, are simply um, people that are trying to find a better life where they can walk into a house, drink out of a tap, and get clean water. Do I sound too liberal for you? No, it just sounds like you're just trying to put it into a proper perspective for folks who are, who are tuned in right now. And, and, and we got a couple of mo- more moments with you. Again, we're tuned in with uh, Adam Bond, attorney at law. Uh, and, you know, I, I do want to ask, though, in the people that you're talking with, I mean, yeah. is there is there a clock that's going to take? Are they going to seek an extension for them to be able to, to remain here? Or is there a chance that, you know, so they can attempt to gain citizenship? Or could they be eventually deported back to their uh, country of origin? 
All right. All of those are possibilities from what I can tell. I mean, my, my, my view and, and the way I think I see it from, from talking to these people is that they're here to stay, so to speak. Um, you know, absent, absent issues, but, um, you know, the resources that they need, people are trying to gather them. Um, in Middleborough, there, there are some people that, that, that have given, um, you know, significant money um, as donations to try and assist these people. Um, the, 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 the prospect, as I understand it, um, from listening to a number of people um, that are politicians around, I don't want to name anybody in case they don't want to be named, right. is that, that you know, if, if, we can, if we can get them up, out, and working, and, and being, you know, and contributing, um, you know, that's the best thing in the world, to get them up and working, get them, into, get them into, a, into a place where they can now be able to afford to buy their own stuff and, and, and live their lives and pay their way. Um, that's the best of all worlds. I suspect that some people will de- be deported. I suspect that some people won't qualify for asylum. I suspect that some people will stay here, live long, happy lives, and make huge contributions to society, as well as there will probably be some that at some point in time get on the wrong side of the law and end up in prison. They're human beings. They're normal. Um, I just, it's just the, I think the, I think the problem that everybody has is they're sort of cowed by the volume. This is a volume of people. This is not two or three people coming in today. It's a volume of people, and I think that's, that's really what, what gets people concerned. You have them going to your schools. You have them in your supermarkets. You have them in your, in your, on your streets here and there doing whatever they're doing. They don't look familiar to you. I mean, in case people don't know, Haitians are not white. So, you know, when, when they walk down the streets, you know they're walking down the streets. And, and in some places, that becomes... You know, of concern to the people that don't have a wider vision of the world. So, what, what is your what is your plan? I mean, are you going to basically kind of keep an eye on this? And, and again, these these uh, 147 immigrants are they still someone that you're wor- you're still working with them until until the next step by the state government? Correct. Yes, my view is I want to continue. I, I want to continue to work with them if they want to continue to work with me and do everything I can to make sure one they understand the process, two they understand it in their own language, and I can explain it to them in their own language. Um, and three, if anybody needs anything else, there, you know, I mean, one of the things I'm trying to do also is see if there's a way we can acclimate them into into the community. You know, take take the kids out for for um, for ice cream. You know, things like that, uh, just to get them out into the community. And, and here's one. I'll tell you, I, I think so American. I thought, hey, we'll get a handful of people together. We'll go to the parents and we'll say, let us take your kids out for ice cream. We'll bring them back. And? That, to me, seems natural. And then I sit there and I think what these people have been through in the world. What difficulties they may have. Here, here are a bunch of people in the local community that are going to take our kids and do what with them? Really? Ice cream? That's what you're doing? I mean, the, 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 the paranoia, I'm sure, is there. I mean, one of the little kids came up, and the, the, the National Guard guy was standing by the door, and there was a police officer with a full belt. And he looked at me, and he said, Why do the soldiers not have guns, and the police do? It's just these different things that you, you, you start beginning to understand. You, you think in a particular way, Kevin. And, 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 that, and that's, that's actually a lot of helping them is cathartic to me. And at the same time, it's, it, they've taught me some stuff about myself. They've taught me about some things and the, way, and the ways I think being an American. 
Well, I want to thank you for, for sharing uh, this information and, and being a guest, kind of talking about the plight of, of what's going on with these. And again, it's a snapshot. What you're dealing with is probably something that there are many other community members around the Commonwealth, around the country, that are, are seeking to, to help individuals who are new into this country and who are, uh, you know, trying to find uh, a better way of life. Yes, give give of yourselves, folks, and see 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 what a smile it puts on your face. He is Adam Bond. He has been uh, our guest for this segment uh, and one for uh, many segments that we've we've had in in the past when it comes to uh, legal matters. And, and as always, I thank you, Adam. All right. If you'd like to make a call, I guess not. No, we already made that call. It's all set. But that's it. Hour number one is in the books, and uh, hour number two is straight ahead as uh, joining us in just a few moments. He's warming up in the bullpen right now. Uh, New York Times bestselling author and producer, Casey Sherman. He'll be up at bat, and we'll chat with him about uh, his new book and uh, some new projects that are gaining uh, all kinds of attention. Also, later in the hour, we'll speak with uh, Ben Rabinovich and Matt Mad Dog Nelson. Talk a little bit about the Boston Bruins. That's coming up in just a few moments as you are tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9. WATD. Don't go anywhere. WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD. Streaming online at 959WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying play WATD. Find Monday Night Talk on Facebook and share your opinions. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. We are back. Hour number two. Again, later this hour, we'll talk a little Boston Bruins. But right now, uh, we're very privileged to have uh, the the likes of Casey Sherman, New York Times bestselling author, producer, uh, he is here, whether it's him or even Dave Wedge's partner, right? talking about so many different things, and we have more to talk about. How are you doing? Hey, good, Kevin. I haven't been here in a while. I feel like I've come home. Thanks for having me. You know what's great is, is we're here to talk about new projects. I, I'm always paying attention to what's happening on social media. Uh, your new book coming out in February. February, yep. Murder in 
Hollywood. Yeah, it's uh, a movie star takes on the mob in uh, 1950s Hollywood. Uh, kind of a departure from what I've usually written. Mm. You know, a lot of my books are parochial. They're they're uh, regionally based, and I've done quite well with them. But you know, my agent said, "Look, you know, why don't you stretch your uh, you know legs a little bit um, and look at a, uh, a you know kind of an unsolved murder mystery? Uh, you know, where would you like to look?" And I said, "Well." You know, L.A., you know, I'm, I'm out there quite a bit. I'm a, I'm a sucker for those old Hollywood movies. L.A. Confidential is one of my all-time favorite books and films. I said, I need that. And, you know, we began talking about Lana Turner. Now, a lot of, uh, some of your audience might know who Lana Turner was, but she was basically Marilyn Monroe before Marilyn Monroe. Right. In fact, you know, Marilyn had kind of stolen her whole persona from Lana Turner. But Lana Turner, uh, going way back in Hollywood history, is they called her uh, the sweater girl, meaning that she was discovered at a soda fountain in Hollywood, became one of the most, you know, legendary uh, Hollywood stories where, you know, thousands of young women showed up from, on bus stops in Hollywood after she was discovered because they wanted to be stars too. Lana had a, a great career in Hollywood, but she always gravitated toward the wrong man. And ultimately, she gets involved with the mob. Mickey Cohen, who was the godfather of the L.A. mob at the time, lures one of his guys into a very violent relationship with Lana Turner. And this story is really all about her taking her life back. And it's an expose of toxic Hollywood and toxic American culture in the 1950s. You know, you know people have looked at Lana Turner as this femme fatale. Um, because uh, her boyfriend, Johnny Stampinato, ended up dead on the uh, carpet of her Beverly Hills mansion in 1958. Um, so there was a scandal, um, huge scandal. I mean, it was the biggest scandal, you know, uh, pre-O.J. Simpson in Hollywood and almost derailed her career. And again, she was looked at as a villainess by Hollywood. But when I started to really look at the story, I uncovered a lot of new information. And I really elevate her for the first time as a feminist icon in this piece. And I'm really, really proud of it. What was different about your approach to investigating this book compared to some of the other ones that you've done? Was there anything different in your approach? Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say a different approach, but, I mean, I physically had to go out to L.A., spend a lot of time in there. But, but I do that anyways. For my books, you have to look, touch, and feel it. Even if it's, you know, 60, 70 years in the past, I try to visualize and see all the places that I write about, speak to the, those people who may still be around, dig you know heavily into the research and that's i call myself an archaeologist of words because it's all about digging deep into that research and finding something that either somebody overlooked or somebody didn't care to look for and i think with this case i think a lot of people didn't care to look for it at the time which allowed me to really turn this case on its head in uh, you know 2023 and soon to be 2024 so with the, with this particular book I feel as though in a lot of your, your books, you find out new information. And what's that like when you uncover something that hasn't been uncovered before? And, and how do you kind of keep it close to your vest so it's not something that is commonly known until folks get sure. to put <laughs> yeah. eyes on yeah. it in your book? 
Well, you know, first person I tell is my wife. I mean, she, I was on my phone constantly with her while I was doing all the research in L.A. saying, geez, you know, honey, I just found this out. I just found that out. I get very excited about it because I, I can't wait for the reader to, to, to really read it. Yep. And, um, you know, with this story, I wanted to bring organized crime and that, you know, old Hollywood system onto a collision course together, and I was able to do that, not only with Lana Turner, but really digging into the past of organized crime in L.A. Mickey Cohen, again, who was like the godfather of L.A., shocked that just, uh, you know, the, the shootings and the bombings all taking place, you know, within just a few yards of where, you know, The Wizard of Oz was being made or Casablanca was being made and how Hollywood intersected with the mob at the time and, you know, treated each other as as stars in Hollywood. They all ran the, ran the town. The mobsters ran, you know, the studios. The studios ran the starlets and the stars. So, you know, building that environment and that scene was really was really rich to kind of build it and then take it apart piece by piece. Almost like the scene in The Godfather. Yeah, yeah, well, very, yeah, very, very true. I mean, you know, you can see how you'll, the Mario Puzos of the world, for example, or <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, they all got, they were all influenced by real events that happened in, in Hollywood and in New York, you know, in the 30s and 40s and 50s where where this story takes place. But I bring, I bring the reader, you know, into the story very early and then bring them through the 1950s. And another thing I wanted to explore was, uh, again, the studios and these child actors. Lana Turner was a child actor, much like Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. You know, Judy Garland, tragic story. She died of an overdose in her 40s. Well, she was hooked on amphetamines when she was 11 by the studio because they wanted her to work 70-hour work weeks. I mean, they brutalized these kids, and they, they still do it today. You know, so this is really taking a, you know, look at this, you know, you know, in this new kind of with this new lens and saying, what did we do to our child stars? What are we doing the, to them to, to today? What did we do to our actors and actresses and exploiting them the way they did they did and still do today? So I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about this book when it comes out. And let's not. We also should make it known that this is also something that has. I didn't realize, and I just looking at my notes here. Um, it's two different projects. Do you have all you have something for a series and for a movie? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, um, we're really focused on the movie now because we don't want the series and the film to compete with each other. Right. So when I had to sit down, I was very lucky to get Terrence Winter and his wife Rachel Winter involved Fantastic. in the project. And I've known Terry for a long time. For those of you in the audience who, who don't know Terry, Terry was a. Um, uh, Emmy-winning executive producer for The Sopranos. He wrote some of The Sopranos' greatest episodes. He created Boardwalk Empire. He was nominated for an Oscar for writing uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Rachel Winter uh, produced, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. So you've got a you've got a great team there. And I reached out to Terry just looking for an endorsement for the book. And he called me back two days later. He goes, has anybody optioned this yet? I said, no, not yet. And he goes, well, I'd like to make it into a feature. And when he, Terry Winter says he's going to turn your book into a feature based on the mob in Hollywood, you say, okay. <laughs> and, uh, um, and it's been a great relationship. You know, Terry's just starting to really kind of work on it the physical writing now that the writer's strike is over and uh we've got some great directors that we're out to right now we've got a potential major a-list stars uh who's going to play lana turner so it's exciting 
Now, how much involvement are you when it comes to writing the screenplay? Are you just there as... Yeah, when Terry's involved in board? it, yeah. sounding board only. Yeah, you know, okay. Terry, Terry knows what he's doing. He's got great uh, and rich um, material to work from. You know, he'd been trying to crack the story of Mickey Cohen in L.A. for years. And obviously, you know, the Lana Turner case, but never before had he seen both of them collide together like I, like I, I, I do in A Murder in Hollywood. So he was really excited about that. And I can't wait to see how he adapts it. Now, now he got a, an early manuscript. Where yeah, you were I kind mean, of passing him out, saying, "Here, <laughs> check this out," and then getting the feedback. Sure, it's one of the things as you're building a book. After you write it, then you've got to market it. So, you know, I've got a select group of, you know, people that I go out to and say, "Would you blurb?" You know, would if you like the book, you know, would you blurb it? And, you know, knock on wood, you know, the people that I go out to always give me, you know, high praise for the book. And my publisher will put their names and their blurbs on the back of the book and use it for marketing purposes. And quite frankly, that's all I was asking Terry to do, never thinking that he would take that leap further and want this as his next, you know, major film project. So it's really been, uh, you know, a blessing well before the book comes out to already have the, the movie rights already gobbled up. 16 books. This is your 16th book. <laughs> yeah. How does it feel? Uh, I feel old, uh, you know, uh, but I, I tell you, I go back and I look at all the books that I've written, and some of I mean, I remember them all, you know, and, and it's the journeys. It's not how many, you know, books were sold or, you know, all those kind of accolades. It's really the people you meet along the way. Networking. And, yeah, but but the people you write about, you know. So, so you know, going back to The Finest Hours, getting, you know, the opportunity to, to tell the story of four Coast Guards men who go on, uh, you know, the greatest small boat rescue in American history and meeting them. Mm. You know, when we wrote Boston Strong, Patriots Day, spending a lot of time with the marathon survivors who remain our closest friends today. So every every book that, that I write and that I write with my, you know, frequent partner, Dave Wedge, they're journeys for us, and we always hold those folks, you know, together with us as we continue. So we talk about 16 books, but this is going to be your third book that has been adapted for film. And again, you mentioned Chris Pine starred in The Finest Hours. Yep, Mark was Wahlberg <laughs> was in Patriot's Day. I mean... Yeah, not a bad uh, not a bad group of actors. Um, you know, Finest Hours, again, you know, when you can shoot uh, and produce films here in Massachusetts, we did that both with The Finest Hours and Patriot's Day. We shot a big chunk of The Finest Hours right here in Marshfield, a few blocks from these studios here. And with uh, Patriot's Day, we shot most of it at the Weymouth, old yeah, Way the Weymouth Naval Air Force Base. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, great opportunity, you know, great um, experiences. You know, when you walk down Hollywood Boulevard and the entire street shut down with a red carpet and you see a 40-foot high billboard saying the finest hours, you know, three words that you came up with while you were writing the book, it's a holy bleep moment for you and I you know you always have those pinch me moments and that's you know and be in the moment love every minute of it when I when when finest hours was turned in, into a film and I'm at the world premiere at the uh, Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard I said this is it this is Everest for me right there's nothing else I need to prove in my career I've kind of done it I've had the New York Times bestsellers now I've got the film um, but you know when you wake up the next day you're like boy you know, Everest seems pretty small right now, but there's a bigger peak mm. that I want to climb next. And it's just, it keeps you going. You love that adrenaline rush, but you're, you're really passionate about the writing. And that's what, you know, I tell people, I tell writers all the time, you need to be passionate about it. 
right because you love it. Everything else is gravy and the cherry on the Sunday at the end of the day, but right because you, you want to tell that story. Yeah, we are speaking with a Casey Sherman, a New York Times bestselling author, here talking about uh, his new book coming out in February of 2024, Murder in Hollywood, and also talking, teasing a little bit about uh, the work uh, as far as a movie, screenplay in the works. Um, great to see that the writer's strike has been settled. Keeping your eyes on what's happening with uh, SAG and, and that particular strike oh, with the course. actors. Yeah, you know, uh, we've got another uh, project, Helltown, which is uh, the... Uh, How's book. that going? How about an update on that? Yeah, update on Helltown is uh, it's going to be a limited series for uh, Amazon uh, starring Oscar Isaac, um, directed by Oscar... Uh, I'm sorry, directed by Oscar winner Ed Berger, who directed All Quiet in the Western Front last year, won a, a bunch of Oscars for Netflix, my producing partner on that project is Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, Susan. And we've got a great team. Uh, our, our brilliant screenwriter, uh, Mohamed El Masre, is uh, now that the writing strike is over, he's been able to finish uh, the pilot episode. So we're all taking a look at that and um, providing notes that we'll eventually bring to the studio. We hope to get that into production, you know, knock on wood, you know, in mid to late 2024, now that the Actors Guild is talking with the studios, much like the Writers Guild was. So, we, you know, everybody wants to work. It's all about, you know, equity and fairness. At the end of the day, the writers finally were able to receive that, and the actors should as well. We should probably uh, move and segue into uh, yet another uh, big project um, and it's something that has not only gotten local attention, Boston markets, but national attention. I'm seeing this everywhere. Magazines. Uh, that is uh, The Patriot Ways, uh, a Tom Brady biopic that is based on uh, the book that you and Dave Wedge wrote, 12. That's, yeah, that's right. You know, we wrote that book in 2017. It was a big hit when, when it came out. We broke a lot of news with that book, and we partnered with uh, the uh, screenwriters of The Fighter, that, who also wrote Patriot's Day and The Finest Hour. So we know these guys very well, Paul Tamasey and Eric Johnson. And when we originally tried to, you know, make this film, it was really the Tom Brady hero story. The comeback in 2017 against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. But then, you know, Brady kept playing and playing and playing. And as, you know, it, it became, uh, you know, then he leaves the Patriots. And then, you know, people started to get sick of the Tom Brady story. So we had to put that story on the shelf for a little bit. And then about a year ago, I'm watching a show on HBO called Winning Time, which is about the, the origin story of the 1980s L.A. Lakers uh, team with Kareem and Magic Johnson. I'm a sucker for all that stuff, you know, being a Celtics fan with Bird back in the 80s. Watched it. I thought it was brilliant. And, I, you know, I went to the, our team. I said, this is the way to crack this story. It's not necessarily a story about Tom Brady, and that's kind of where the media got a, a little, uh, they were a little confused. It's really a story about, you know, the 20-year Patriot dynasty. And, you know, the highs and the lows, we're not, you know, we're not glorifying the Patriots here. There are no sacred cows. We're going to tell the story the, the way, it, way it happened. Obviously, it's, it's fictional, so we have to uh, enhance some of the scenes and some of the storylines. And, you know, it might not chronologically fit uh, the way that we're going to do it, but it's, it's going to be a limited series. We're super excited about it. You know, there's a ton of great drama in this story uh, that we're drawing upon. I was just uh, in my writing office uh, 
as right before I got here, guys. And, and one thing you do when you're writing a, working on a, a limited series is you're, you have to f figure out what the beats are for the episodes. You know, so Dave and I are working on what those narrative beats are going to be, and then we collaborate with Paul and Eric, and they start to build out the screenplay. So that's kind of where we are right now. But it's, you know, going back in time and, you know, all the way, you know, to 2001, even pre-2001, and, and re, you know, reintroducing ourselves to the source material. It's just, it's amazing. And it'll never be replicated in our lifetime with any other sports team. Well, we look what's happening with the Patriots. I mean, the past two weekends, and the team is, you can only stay so high. You can only ascend so high before you descend, and that's what's happening with this this team right now. It's they haven't replaced a, a guy like a Tom Brady, and knowing how the you know the the divorce between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady happened. I mean, a lot of folks feel as though Tom Brady should have retired. As not not a one day type of thing, but he should have been here for a couple more seasons. Yeah, I mean they forced him out, you know, and that was a Belichick move. And and you know what we broke in our book was that Belichick had originally tried to trade Brady to the 49ers. right? And, uh, and instead, in Kraft, uh, you know, poo pooed it. Um, but then he eventually forced Brady out. And you know, I said this all the way back then. I said Brady leaves this. This is going to be a house of cards. That'll, that'll crumble because Belichick, you know, does not have the same rapport with players of today that he had with the old guard, the Willow McGinnis right. of the world, the Ty Laws of the world, you know, the lawyer Malloy's of the world that could take real coaching. I mean, today's NFL, you've got to coddle these players. You've really got to be their friends as opposed to just being their bosses. And I think a lot of these players have tuned Bill Belichick out. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you say that because um, Kerry J. Byrne, Cold high football. Oh sure, yeah, Carl, we, buddy we, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Greg, I think is he a BU guy? I think he's a BU. Uh, he's a BC guy, BC unfortunately. Guy. I'm a BU yeah, guy. Like, Dave's a BC guy. Yeah, but uh, he has been saying all along when pe folks were talking about the the inevitable split of uh, Belichick and Brady leaving was that he's saying the onus is that, that Brady was the the magic ingredient. And that prior to you know Tom's uh, you know being drafted at 199. That he was a sub five hundred coach, and, and not to say that he didn't have sure have success as a, a defensive coordinator, right. but you know it took a guy like a the um, the abilities of Tom, the the drive of Tom Brady to kind of get the Patriots to where that it would become a luxury that you could have a guy like Tom who would take less. And, sure. and be able to kind of plug in in other uh, other areas. You know, and, and Tom always felt underappreciated by by Belichick, and we, we chapter and verse this in the book, and we'll, you know, uh, uh, parlay this into the limited series. You know, for an example, every year after the season, especially when they won the Super Bowl, Belichick would take a, a group of select players out to dinner. And it was a, it was a big honor to get that, you know, invitation from Bill. Brady in 20 years never got it was never asked and that you know i mean those are the little slights you might think oh well who cares he's making millions of dollars but he's a human being yeah you know and and, and he's fragile and that's another thing you know he's he's brilliant and he's determined and he's you know the greatest you know winner in american sports but he's, he's a fragile guy that wants that love and wants that attention he's very close tom's very close to his dad and when he was in foxborough you know he was looking for another father figure in, in belichick and belichick treated him like any other player and you can't t treat tom and nor should you treat tom brady like any other player so i think you know with this with the patriot way you know 
fans that love the Patriots are going to love the show. Fans that hate the Patriots are going to love the show. We want both. Yes, we, we want, you want both. both because, you know, all the drama's there. We're, we're not going to, you know, protect anybody's image. We're going to, again, tell the story the way that it happened or the way that we believe it happened because, again, this is going to be a fictional series. And at the end of the day, it's going to be entertaining as hell. Any chance that, that Tom Brady is a part of this, or is it is, is it a matter of you can do this project without Tom as an ingredient? Yeah, we um, well, Tom's. I mean, he's going to be a central figure, central but, figure but, but but he's also a public figure, so we do not need Tom Brady's permission his or his or rights uh, to tell that story. Nor would we want to, because we want to be able to tell the story the way that we want to tell the story. Because again, Tom Brady's going to be you know the central figure to the story, but there are a lot of things in Brady Brady's background that he's probably not 100% proud of, but we have to mine that territory because he's a human being he's, and he's complex. And those are the kind of things that we all can identify with. Now, how many, how many, how many particular ep- episodes in this series and what's the timeline for production? Sure. Again, we know, again, we know things are going on. Yeah, right, right, so right. It could. I, I mean, the, you know, we're, 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 we're noodling with the number of episodes. Um, you know, we were thinking eight, it could be 10, you know, it could be a multi-series, multi-season platform, but we've been talking to a lot of the studios in Hollywood and they're not, they're shying away from that now. They'd like us to tell the story within that eight to 10 episode range. So how do you condense 20 years into that time frame? So now where the challenge for us is where do we start? Do we start, you know, pre 2001 would love to but we may not have all the runway to tell that story. Do we start 2007 after Brady's and Belichick have already won three Super Bowls? Now they're facing Spygate. And they have, you know, the dynasty could be hanging in the balance. And many of us here thought the dynasty was over, sure. you know, after those three Super Bowls. We never thought that there would be another three in the 2010s. I mean, Kevin, you remember when the, the Ravens beat the Patriots in the playoffs? I mean, dismantled them right at Foxborough. I remember thinking, okay, well, you know, hey, great run. You know, Tom Brady won three Super Bowls. Sure. Patriots were great for a time. Now it looks like the Ravens are going to be uh, dominant. And then this team came back. And, you know, Belichick was a big part of that because he drafted the Gronkowskis and a lot of the defensive players. But mm-hmm. the clue is number 12. Indeed, indeed. Um and and has there been a studio announced? To have you settled Not yet, on No, no, no. We're, we're still. That's in the works. Yeah. Good for you. Hopefully, we uh, can make that announcement. You know, within I would say, you know, within the next month, I guess. Um, but we're we're talking to everybody. It's the hottest, you know, project in Hollywood. When that announcement was made, to your point earlier, it just went everywhere. Yeah. Went viral. You know, I mean, I you know, my mother's friends were able to read it in Us Weekly, and many of them didn't know who Tom Brady was. So they're a little older. Um, so, but they, you know, they saw my name. So, I mean, it just shows you that this story just really kind of spread not only nationally but internationally, and we're excited about it. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Anything you want to say in closing that maybe we might have forgotten to mention, but you want to take a moment to uh, to touch upon? Yeah, yeah, just a couple things. Well, uh, a murder in Hollywood. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Get those pre-orders up um, because it does doesn't come out till uh, February. So, little uh, guilty, uh, you know, pleasure of pushing it for me. And then we've got, you know, Kevin. I know you saw Hunting Whitey with with uh, you know Dave Wedge and I wrote this. 
screenplay or this uh, um, play rather adapted from our book Hunt, Hunting Whitey, starring Neil McDonough. And we're looking to an, elevate that to take that on the road. We're looking at London. We're looking at Broadway. We're looking at L.A. Creating a concert film that we can share all over the world. So we got a lot going on. And if folks want to find out more or follow you, how can they do that? Uh, Twitter, uh, you know, Casey Sherman123 or Instagram, Casey Sherman writes. I'm not very good at either, but, you know, they can find some of you know, my stuff on there. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and sharing some of this great news as to what's going on. I appreciate it. Always, guys. Thank you, yep, you for having me. You got it. There he is, Casey Sherman, New York Times bestselling author and producer here uh, on Monday Night Talk. We are going to step aside. The final segment, straight ahead, right here on Monday Night Talk. Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. Fall is a great time to enjoy alfresco dining at the patio at McGuigan's. Start your open-air meal with a patio sampler platter piled high with chicken wings, cauliflower, potato skins, egg rolls, and chicken and biscuits. The patio's specialties include koji steak tips, braised short ribs, pan-seared salmon, and chicken marsala. Looking for something lighter? Sink your teeth into a patio burger, pulled pork sandwich, fish tacos, or margarita flatbread. Friday and Saturday nights feature live entertainment at the patio. At McGuigan's, sip on a specialty cocktail and unwind from the week as the fall breeze cools down the evening. The patio at McGuigan's is at 552 Washington Street in Whitman Center. And check out McGuigan's Pub next door at 546 Washington Street, also in Whitman Center. Invest your time in listening to Cape Retirement Radio and learn a smarter approach to investing so you can protect your future. Cape Retirement Radio, featuring Chris Latond, Thursday nights at 6.15 and Sunday mornings at 10 on 95.9 WATD. Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. All right, we return. Wow, fantastic segments so far. Uh, Win Falwell, Adam Bond. Always awesome to have Casey Sherman in here uh, and talking about some of the great projects that he's working on or his writing partner, Dave Wedge. And uh, great way to finish off the segment. Uh, the show itself is uh, talking a little uh, upcoming NHL season. You bring in the pros. You bring in guys like um, Ben Rabinovich and, and of course, he's from Causeway Kings podcast. He's the other hats that he wears, but we're just going to stick with the Causeway Kings because he's been in here doing the podcast. And uh, Matt, Mad Dog Nelson, who he had, he could have talked during the last one. But I think he kind of just wanted to just sit in the background and, and not really talk. But Matt, uh, a sports announcer, uh, somebody who also does work for ESPN uh, here joining us to talk a little Bruins. Uh, I think Matt probably can call like seven different sports if he tries real hard. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, listening to Casey, what a uh, what a guy's got a lot going on. He's going to hit 18 before the Celtics do. And here's the other, the other thing I was going to throw out there is, is I'm waiting for with his writing style. And if you if you haven't had a chance to read some of his stuff. I mean, I think there's an Oscar in his in his future for, you know, some of the you know some of the stuff that he's uh, written and done, um, and future stuff because he's 
his content is that good. His decisions on what to write about are that good. It's, it's going to happen. So, uh, so I brought you two in here to talk a little bit about the NHL season. Uh, I believe that the preseason is in the rearview mirror. Oh, yeah. And the start of the season, I think, is starting tonight. August, uh, the season overall, I'd have to double-check that myself. Yeah, We're I all locked in on Bruins season. I think it's this week. It is this week. It is this week. Um, and so the thing I wonder, I want to kind of digress back up just a little bit, just kind of a an, an overall, because I don't think Matt was here for it. I don't even know if you were here for it. No, Matt might have been here for it. He did it with uh, Adam Clancy, another member of That's right. the Causeway Kings. Um, but we should kind of start off with taking a look at this Bruins team. If, you've had, if you haven't had a chance to watch any preseason games, it's funny to not see a, a number 37 or a 46 out there skating around with this team. Um, you know, this is a this is a definitely a different looking team. We'll start with you, Matt. What do you think? I think that the city of Boston is going to have to wait at least another ten years before they see a championship in any sport. Ah, that's not true. Why'd you start with him? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to break the news, but the, the Patriots... Benny might be. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Benny might be more optimistic. I don't know. Ben. I don't know if there's a Stanley Cup championship behind this year's team, but I will tell you, you're right. It's very strange to not see the familiar faces that we've been used to over the last, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. And then you look at the roster and you realize, oh my goodness, there's only three or four guys that are in their 30s right now. Everybody else is in their 20s. I mean, what happened? This team literally went B A A B, and then we threw a D and a C in there somehow, and now we're back to B. So I guess that's good. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of change and there's a lot of variable. And obviously, last uh, preseason was it was all right. It wasn't anything to write home about. Nobody uh, saw what was going to happen in the regular season out of the preseason. That's for certain. But uh, hey, you know they came out with at least a winning record in this one. So we'll see what happens in the regular. I don't know if it's going to be Stanley Cup caliber, but they do have some names to get it done. Let's see what happens. I mean, you got a you got a decent tandem between the pipes. It's interesting that uh, Swayman, Jeremy Swayman, has decided to change his number and he's sporting the old number one. I don't know if that's kind of some kind of subliminal sign that, like, you know. I thought number one for the Bruins was uh, retired, to be honest with you. But I guess oh, yeah. I'm surprised it's not. Reggie uh, Reg Lemlin. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. A few Who other actually guys. skates for the Bruins, the Bruins alumni. alumni. Great guy. Who I've met a few times. Listen, yeah. the Bruins alumni roster is going to be absolutely stacked this season. You think so? I love that Cater's still on there, you know? Why do you yeah. Why do you think that... Uh, I don't know if Bergie, uh, Patrice Bergeron is going to actually necessarily escape, but... Not yet. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if there was one one big cause out there. Like, the Warrior for Life Fund comes to mind. It's always a big game at Warrior. I could see him... That's the one Chara laced up for last year. Possibly. That'd be pretty cool. So if we were to reminisce about the summer and some of the movements, some of the things that the Bruins have, have done over the offseason, trades, uh, free agent signings, free agent signing misses, anything that comes to mind? I will say this. The best thing the Bruins did over the summer was design the Centennial jerseys. They did an excellent job on all three. You think so? Yeah, I you do. Think, you think so? I do. I do. Um that being said, I think everyone that's not on the top line of Zaka, Pasternak, and, and Martian, it, it's going to be a tough year for lines two through four. Why do you Why do you think that? There's just there's no scoring prowess that comes to. I mean, James Van Riemsdyk is 
yeah, at the tail he, end of his yeah, career. Yeah, he's he's on the back nine. He's probably somewhere around 16 right now. Charlie if I'm Coyle's talking golf still, terms. Still lining up his third line center and and Milan Lucic. Luch. I think we'll be lucky to see him play 50 games. Really? Wow. Why do you think he's going to be off injured? I, I th- no, I think he's just going to be a healthy scratch. Why on earth would he be a healthy scratch? That makes no sense. He was most of last year. Yeah, yeah well, Calgary. He's excited to be back. I, I think that if... He's, he's excited to be back, but I also don't think that he can keep up with the youngest players of today's game for what they would need in a, in a fourth liner for 10 to 12 minutes a game. No, but I, I think you need you need some kind of a an enforcement agent. You need something that's going to... I think the one thing that the Bruins over the past couple of years have lost, have, have not necessarily had, is, is that one physical guy who if you need to send him out and, and I know Sean Thornton comes to mind one of, one yeah, of Sean the, Thornton uh, was the what, 10 years ago most legendary Bruins on, 10 years on ago the Merlot line has been long since gone I'm it pretty is. sure Danny <laughs> Paye is lucky to be alive Campbell's retired uh, Thornton's with the Florida and the uh, admin office I mean it's been a little while Gregory Campbell one of the most heroic moments broken leg in, in Bruins history broken leg broken yep. leg shift broken leg shift I can't see anybody else block a shot or anything else anymore and not compare them and their immediately following actions to what Campbell did that night that's how powerful that really truly was in totality if you're not if you're not putting the body out there do you even care that's what it is now so if we'll, I mean, one thing that I think that the, the Bruins are going to miss, uh, that they're going to have tr- trouble with, and I think you alluded to it, is you know lines two through four, scoring, 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 scoring. And if you if you can if you have three of your lines that are struggling to score, then it's easy enough for the other team's defense just to shut down the top line, just like they used to do back in the day for the for the Bruins. They would have the one top line, Craig Janney, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, Ray Bork. Cam Neely, you know, you shut those guys down. Adam Oates, you shut any of those guys down on the, on the top line. Uh, you know, Ray Bork is into your top line, but he was your, he was key in when it came to your power play and being a, you know, um, a valuable defenseman. That's right. When Norris he, Trophy winning defenseman. That's right. And you had to keep your head on a swivel when guys like that were out there. Yeah. There's no way around it. But talk about the scoring prowess that you were talking about. Yeah, you might not have any... Uh, wildly large names here, but what you do have is a list of relatively accomplished young fellas that have a lot to prove this season. Obviously, Jake DeBrusque, we'll see what happens with him. If Clance was here right now, he'd tell you exactly what he thought. <laughs> it's been a roller coaster with this kid for the last few years, I tell you. But Charlie Coyle's primed. I think he's going to have a huge season. Uh, obviously, the Weymouth guy can't go wrong with that here locally. But he is actually a talented player on top of that. It's not one of those guys that he you is, just... but he's not a t- he's not a top. He's your t- he's like I want to say he might be your third line sentiment. I don't see him as always navigating either the first or second line. It just I I, I don't feel it. Well, you've also got these young kids and uh, Matthew Potra and John Beecher coming through. They survived the uh, round of cuts, made the opening night roster. Yeah, Brown so. got cut. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. No. He's AHL bound anywhere. AJ Greer, same thing. A tough, uh, uh, rugged guy, but at the same time, you know, when you've got all these young guns, we saw what happened in the Claude Julian days when you stifle young Glued. players. Can't do it, man. Can't do that no more. Especially with so many jobs open and really honestly they no one's penned in anywhere to be honest with you so we'll see how it all works out this season but i i got a good feeling i think you're going to see a little bit more of the fancy stuff 
relative to the regular Bruins style of play that we've been used to. And I don't think it's worth putting your expectations on a cup, but I do think you're going to make a good playoff run. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see them win the the uh, Jennings Trophy again for uh, for the lowest combined goals against. Uh, for, they won't for win, the they won't win the Presidents Cup. That's for sure. I don't want them to win the Presidents. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it's like a curse. I, I said this all of curse. last year, and, and people vilified me for it. I would have rather seen them go on a ten game losing skid to end the year to give away that trophy before they went into the playoffs. Maybe not a ten game. Not skid, a ten but, yeah. game, but I mean intermittent. You know, lose. You know. Don't be on. Don't be streaking. And the trophy. It's like tanking to not win the president's trophy. Could have lost a little more than fifteen games of the whole year, is what he's saying. Folks. Yes. Yes. Um, I I, th- I think the defense will be solid. I I don't think Grizzlick's a top pairing, but between him, McAvoy, Lindholm, and and Carlo, I think they're in pretty good shape. They're but, top four. But Zaboro gets sent down, right? He got he got cut. Yeah, he, he got cut. Yep. yep. And did the um, is it, it Lore? Am I saying his name right? Mason Lore, I believe. Lore, I think he made the he may have made sure the team. He, but I don't see him listed here on cap friendly, so he might have he might be starting the season as a healthy AHL. Okay. AHL. Okay. But your defensive line has definitely gotten a little older, which is not the usual thing to do here. Well, Shattenkirk brings the average age up by like five years immediately. I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, Shattenkirk's clocking in a day. Old man at 34, I know, let me tell you. Oh, boy. And then, uh, of course, you've got Forbert, which I can't believe he's still on the team, but he was a solid player for us last year. 31. Everybody else, you got Grizz at 29, Carlo at 26, Lindholm at 29, and McAvoy's only 25 years old. That doesn't even sound right. So so are you, what about, will this team miss Connor Clifton? I don't think so, to be honest with you. I mean, Clifton's he had the a good size player, and he was, he was physical. But I, I, I think... Them bringing in Lucic tries to um, to, to it's fill an offset. that void. Yeah. Well, he was gonna. He was trying for a contract. He wanted a a decent contract. Uh, Clifton, kind of Clifton, and I don't blame him. I would too. You got you it. And then you, you you know Orloff. I mean, I mean that was a guy I was hoping they would keep. I felt I felt he was great at the you know great acquisition at the trade deadline. I was like great, and I thought he did. Wonders in that first round that they you know made it through that that they didn't make it through and yeah, right. at least he was the one contributor. I'm shocked they didn't keep any of those acquisitions. Honestly, like I mean Tyler I realized Bertuzzi. the uh, the the cap was not friendly to them and obviously Bertuzzi needed to get paid. Apparently that was important for him and. Hey, good. It gives Marshan someone to hate again because I think he said last year I have no one left in this league to hate. They're all teammates now. You're talking about well, now uh, that he's on Toronto, now that Tyler is on 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 the, oh the Leafs, right? No, not Orlov. Who's the other guy that we got last year? I can't remember all of a sudden. I Google, can't remember. Google is your friend. We'll we'll stall I, while you look. We'll, we'll I think get the to biggest it. loss of the uh, of the year, Taylor Hall. Oh, no doubt. Well, it wasn't a loss. It was we traded him away so we could create cap space, and a lot of folks thought that that ca- creating that space would have allowed them to sign Bertuzzi. But it wasn't to be. It wasn't, and Patuzzi didn't sign for much. It was, I want to say it was like five point eight million dollars for a yeah, one year deal. It was a one year deal, and I'm like, why couldn't we sign him? And we signed a. We, we made a bunch. The team made a bunch of one to two million dollar signings with with individuals, as you said, who kind of a little older with Shattenkirk and Van Riemsdyk. But look at the cap. It, it's eighty three and a half million dollars. You look up and down the roster. You say. Where's that what, money? What are we spending? Well, you, get, you, get, you get you get Pasternak a bump. You've given you know your your 
Your two Austin's keep- a big fry. I mean, eleven and and change. Eleven mil and change is. I mean, good money. McAvoy, you gave McAvoy a nice contract. Yeah, just right. under ten million for goodness sakes. Right. Nine point five. McAvoy's I mean. going to be your future captain. Basically, yeah. I mean, right? and everybody else. But is now, just- now you're talking about committing a full quarter of the salary cap to two players. Yeah. No, to three players. I mean, to, to, to three players. Marshan's only getting six point one. I mean, that's. I mean, the realm of things. Pasternak's 11 Right, but your, two. your top two defensemen are making what? Uh, nine and a half and six and a half in, in uh, Hampus Lindholm. So Lindholm. It's yeah, Lindholm. But, but they gave Lindholm a long-term uh, deal, right? Yes. Seven years, yes. Seven years. Seven-year deal. Right, that so that's going to jump up. <laughs> Which, that that's great value. For, for six and a half million, he's going to be that's top pairing bad. in a couple of years, I think. Nice to know someone's got a job booked up till 2029, huh? <laughs> It's just, nice to have some stability. I guess so. If you are just <laughs> tuning in, uh, we got Ben Rabinovitz uh, from Causeway Kings podcast, as well as uh, Matt Nelson. Uh, we're here talking uh, Boston Bruins NHL and uh, giving uh, our uh, being uh, sports prognosticators in what we think will the the NA, what we're going to see play out in the NHL. Um, we talked. You mentioned Brad Marchant. Uh, was it? Do you like the idea of him having the C? I mean, who who better to go with chronologically? I mean, he's the the next man up seniority how long wise. Though? Is he is he around it's, for another two it's years? It's going to be like Bergeron. You know, no offense to Big Z and anything, but Bergie should have been the captain a long time ago. But hey, you know, Big Z is what he is, and you know he earned that and deserved it just the same, if not more. But. It was sad to see Bergie only get two or three seasons with that C on his jersey. It should have been a lot longer. And I feel it's going to be the same thing with Marshan. He's only got another year or two, maybe three tops. Yeah, the surgery. And it's going to just keep flipping and flipping and flipping. And then when it gets to McAvoy, finally, then it'll be stable for a few more years. But, I mean, hey, we could have had a long time with Bergie in that captain seat. That's all I know. Um Preseason? Do were you impressed with the preseason? Do were you happy with what you saw? I mean, preseason is what it is. It's you know, it's like getting excited for the Celtics beating the 76ers last night. It's you know, you don't have Joel Embiid out there. It's not really a true competition. It's true. Uh, honestly, I'll start this one off. I want to say, play wise, I have no problems with what I saw. Jersey wise, what I saw. Some of the ugliest jerseys I've ever seen in my life, buddy. I don't Gassed. know where you heard. No, yes. you have broken the They're mad dog's so heart. Simple and bland. It was I'm just like, yo, who did smoke. this? I'm Someone's got an answer smoke. for me, all right? Who do you want? The head of the bear? Is I that want the head of the bear here, oh. man. I want that poo bear back. No, I mean, you I want like, the head of the well, bear. They, look around the south shore. They had, they had a concept. Is this out. the first year of the fanatics contract? It, are these Adidas or are these fanatics? Yes, actually, I believe this is the first year of the Fanatics. You're right. And that's probably why they look the way they do at a, uh, a low, low cost price for each team, I'm sure. That's a wow. fanfare has always been like that. I just think they're horrifically simple and bland. They had the concept out of basically the Bobby Orr jerseys from the early 70s, late 60s. Now, those would have been fire if you recall back in, I think, 20. Oh, goodness, 13, 14 maybe. The Bruins were wearing those as an alternate third. It was the majority black base with the yellow shoulders. Yep. It had the kind of cutout right above the shoulder, uh, the collarbone line. And it looked great. I saw that concept and I said, oh, man, if we're going anywhere near that, we're good to go. And then they came out with these pajama pants with the stripes. And it's like whoever designed this needs to be yelled at, like, immediately. I will Not say, one, digging of, it. one of Not my favorite one. jerseys of all time is the 2010 Winter Classics. Yes, 
Thank you. That was a real inspiration of art and time when it comes yeah, to looking at all the jerseys and mixing them into one. Beautiful. But again, it's all about marketing and, and, and try to, you know, try to appease different parts of your, your demographics and trying something new. Mm-hmm. And, they, they, and they failed. They yeah, well, you, you win some, <laughs> you lose some, kind of. That's yeah. right. If they wanted to uh, honor the demographics and the history, they should have asked the actual hockey fans and not the pink hats that are buying tickets these Ooh. days. And I'm not afraid to say it. Shots fired. I'm calling it like it is here. Shots fired. Wow. Calling it like it is. So uh, let, let's talk. Let's talk about the season that is uh, ahead. Do you feel that the Bruins? There's no way that they're going to be able to repeat what they did last year. No chance. No chance. Right. Right. Was it the 65 and 12 or something in that that neighborhood? Yeah, I, right? they didn't even lose 20 games. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I, I think you'd you'd be talking about a combined goals against average of of like. 0.25 per game if, mm. if they were to go on a, a streak like they did last year. Good luck. Because, they, I mean, they're not going to have any scoring. Right. Well, so the, the goal is just going to have to put up a, a clean sheet every night. Mm. Uh, I, there's still I'm some saying rumors. there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. <laughs> saying there's a chance. <laughs> I tell you what, if, if some of the rumors I've seen they uh, ever come true, then maybe. I even saw that maybe Steven Stamkos may be Boston-bound at some point soon. Tampa Bay is having some cap issues and well, roster well, issues. Well, I, I, think, I think Boston might only have like $500,000 under their cap, so I don't know where the hell he's going to well, go. Obviously, you're going to have to give some... That. I think it's like a buck eighty-five. It might be. Okay, okay. Obviously, we're talking some serious cash and some picks and this, that. And the other thing, well, who knows what it's going to take? Well, the Bru- the Bruins they had some some clever cap uh, movements going on last year to be able to kind of bring people in. You sent Mike Riley, the the defenseman, down to uh, Providence for for a, a smidge to kind of squash his contract. They they were doing different things. Hall was out for a while, so they kind of temporarily were able to kind of use some of his space. They would have. They're gonna have to get really creative in order. To, I'll tell you what. It's gonna take one of those top four defensive contracts, and it's gonna take Tampa Bay retaining some of the contract. That's right. It's absolutely correct. We'll see how that one shakes out. But uh, so, how did the Bruins do? If we if we're gonna sit here and again and then meet back here next year, uh, and you know uh, and later on in twenty four and say ah, I was right or ah, I was wrong, I mean, do you feel that their win total is gonna be at least fifty? I would certainly hope so, but the, the the only real question on my head for the first game, at least, is what are they going to do to help keep Connor Bedard off the board in his NHL debut? That's the only thing everyone's going to be watching on opening night is all the hullabaloo about Bedard. I was looking I'd at tickets for that game. How for much group, were those tickets? For a group of four tickets up in the nosebleeds in one of the corners... They're asking two hundred bucks a head. That's crazy. I believe that. That's actually that's, low for what I thought. That's it would the be. Bedard effect. Yeah, and and that was like weeks ago. I'm sure it's it's a little I'm bit. I'm sure even it's only now. got worse since. Yes, that's the Bedard effect. I mean, people are excited to see this kid. Well, I tell you, I, I was excited to see him go against Mark Andre Fleury in a shootout, and Mark Andre Fleury, welcome to the to the league appropriately. <laughs> You've been stoned. Nice try, kid. Also, <laughs> you don't need your legs anymore. Those belong to me now. You know. All right, so if you were to give a number, how many wins? What would you say their win total might be uh, for twenty three, twenty four season? Out of the eighty games, I would expect at least eighty two. Eighty two. You're right. 82. I, I expect at least no, no, but fifty wins. Their win total. What will their What will their win total be I, at the end of the regular season? I want to see the five spot put up. I want to see fifty wins out of them. Okay. How about you? I think we'll see forty six. 
Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be like 45, 46. I, I'm, I'm right there. And, and that might, might be generous if, if they're not able to put mm-hmm. the puck in the net. And, you know. Can, what, one important question league-wide that we, I know we only have a couple of minutes, but we yeah. got to ask it. The Phoenix Coyotes. Clearly, it's Arizona not working. Coyotes. What did I say? Phoenix. Clearly, Phoenix. it's not working out because I can't even remember. And nobody out there in Arizona can remember. So, sir, obviously, it's going to be moved. It's going to be sold. The question is, where? Who gets I will the say new this. franchise? I will say this. Uh, bring back the Hartford Whalers. Stone yes. <laughs> bring back the Hartford Whalers. Or the Nordiques. I want uh, the brass bonanza, baby. Let's go. Stonehill College, the Skyhawks, are playing at Mullet Arena this season Ooh. against uh, Arizona State. <laughs> in NHL arena. Must be nice of them to be able to play on the big stage like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying, it's it, clearly Arizona, while they've been around for, oh, my goodness, what's it been, a good 15, 20 years now? Yeah. Great time, great heritage. It you, ain't working You know, out. the rumors have it that Atlanta is trying to bring back a pro hockey franchise. <laughs> for what, the third, the fourth time? Yeah. How many times are we going to try yeah. this experiment? Atlanta lasts for a few seasons. And then the interest dies out, and that's that. How about you the know? California Golden Seals? How about that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Does California not have enough pro sports teams? Yeah, do we do we not have enough no, going no. on there to add to wait, that traffic, Kevin? Wait, does Vegas have a team? Oh, I'm pretty sure they got at least one team out there. No, no, mistaken. but I'm saying a professional hockey team. Oh, of course they do. Who? The Golden Knights? I just want to make sure you're paying attention. Now, that's, that's my segue. Do they repeat? <laughs> I hope not. I'll tell you that. But wherever Phil Kessel ends up, I hope they do well. We'll, we'll see. Did, I didn't even actually see where he landed this year. Do we know where he's at off top of He might be unsigned. I think he's still sitting on his couch. Yeah, but that waiting, being yeah. said, he also made the, the list of the 100 most legendary Bruins. Yeah, I bet he did. I, I have questions about some of the players on that list. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. He'll definitely go down as one of the most infamous, that is for certain. So... Jumbo he, Joe is on that list too. Who? Jumbo Joe. Oh, my God. Poor guy. <laughs> He retired, right? Yeah, he's yes. he's he shaved the beard too. He's fifty fiftying right now. He's talking about am I Waffling. done? Am I not done? I'm pretty sure uh, I'm done, guys. See. Maybe someone will call him off the couch. Um, teams to watch, and who do you think wins the cup? Ben? Mm, tough to say who's winning the cup. To be honest with you, preseason didn't tell me definitively any real answer on that. I would definitely be keeping an eye on the Buffalo Sabers. I would definitely definitely be keeping an eye. On the uh, Hurricanes, Carolina really stepped it up this offseason. They, they were the ones who signed Olofsky. Yeah, about that, too. Yep. And uh, I had one other team on my list I wanted to remember, and I forgot them, so I guess that means I wasn't really important, huh? Bet. <laughs> I can't wait to see the buzz around uh, the Connor Bedard effect. I, uh, I think Chicago has made a couple of decent moves, too. I don't think they're in the cup conversation. Uh, I, I don't think they're in a conference final conversation, but they might went around um, I I think Vegas is in decent shape mm-hmm. Carolina um, I, I really like uh, Carolina's gameplay They're, they play very fast and not a lot of people keep up with them um, th- those would probably be the, the two picks although uh, Buffalo is going to be right up there in the east as well I remember who my dark horse or where here was please it's the Florida Panthers. I'm really curious to see what that team's mentality becomes after the Cinderella run two seasons ago. This one where, obviously, cup final. That doesn't happen very often. Well, you mean not two seasons ago, last season. What did I? Yeah, it's been La- a long last, day, last season. But five, yeah, it, 5 a.m. was a while ago. Okay. But, yes, 
this last run. I want to see how that all holds together and if it holds together, Kevin. You think Dallas makes another run? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I, so. I think, I think there's a chance. He's saying there's a chance. He's, say, he's saying the man's he's saying, saying there's this. a chance. There's a chance. I, I would like to. I would like to see at least the Bruins make a deep run. I'd like to see them go beyond a make the playoffs and at least make it a lot further than the first round. That's right. Maybe not empty the tank. You know, three weeks before the season's up. If you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. Unless it's the President's Trophy. Unless it's the President's Trophy. I, no, I just in which case, last. when you're first, you're, you're last. last. Yeah. My <laughs> preference is, is that they're not trying to be one of the last teams to make it in and scrape past. You know, do like, I think Florida was that team, right? Last year that just squeaked in. And barely. Then, barely. And well, then, going back to the Kings championships, they, they won it as an eight seed. Right. So there, there you have it. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for for joining uh, here, us here uh, at Monday Night Talk and talking a little Bruins. Maybe we'll try to do something uh, mid-season. Uh, ben, you, you and I have to have a conversation about uh, doing something uh, with a little little video. Yeah. To get the uh, the, the Causeway Kings uh, beyond just the podcast, the audio podcast, but add that video. Um, well, I'll talk about how who's assembling. I know uh, some of the members are... Still trying to work through details in their contract to be able to join us for That's right. such a thing. These Causeway King contracts, I'm telling you, I've never had such a challenge in They're all my crazy. days. Hopefully they don't go on strike. That could be that could be pretty bad. I can't afford that. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that's that's all the time that we've been allotted until next week at 6.15 p.m. I promise. Good Lord, Lord winning, willing, we'll be back. Stay tuned. WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD. Streaming online at 959WATD.com. And with your smart speaker, just by saying play WATD.